गुरवे गौरचंद्राय राधिकाय तदालय कृष्णा कृष्ण भक्ताय थाय नमो नम सो गुड मॉर्निंग टू ऑल ऑफ यू प्रणाम एंड वेलकम गेम बैक टू आवर वीकली सीरीज ऑफ राधिकल पर्सनलिज्म टूडे वी आर continue with our ninth meeting where we will be starting a new topic inside a bigger topic of radical personalism today we will starting with the idea of non-dual thinking it will be a topic that we will present in two <clears throat> classes in two weeks so today part one of non-dual thinking where we will be speaking about everything is one but never impersonal before going there as usual let's make a brief recap of what we studied last tuesday where we had our second lecture on individuation the role of human emotions in the life of a sadhaka and there we talk how transcending emotions for us godias at least does not mean rejecting emotions any type of emotion but learning how to integrate them that's the very idea of transcendence integration and there is actually not no such a thing as a bad emotion at all but basically there are negative things that we can do with emotions or positive things ideally but emotions are not negative nor positive they are simply they simply are and our commitment is to know what to do with them we gave the example of anger we can be angry but anger is not a bad emotion it's an emotion but we can express anger badly in the form of resentfulness or revenge or hatred whatever or we can use that as a transformative power if you will so the idea is to integrate emotions include them allow them to happen but in a way that they are not overwhelming you they are not like carrying you in an ocean of emotionality that has no end mm-hmm. so there's no need to transcend in the sense of rejecting the emotions mm-hmm. but to integrate individuation again we are talking about individuation in this summary uh, which is another way of saying try let's try to develop more intimacy mm, with our emotional dimension instead of seeing that as something more and more foreign from us uh, especially as sadhakas in the in- intermediate stage where we are trying to integrate our humanity with our uh, divinity or spiritual project that's healthy transcendence a healthy transcendence will reclaim will reposition emotions and everything for that matter an unhealthy transcendence will be the opposite will be escapism disconnection and so on which is another way of speaking about impersonalism which is denying that god has senses that's the basic premise of mayavada or impersonalism god has no senses by extension no emotions So if we extend that same that same idea to us we have no emotions or we deny them we live as if we do not have them that's tantamount to impersonalism which is the exact opposite of our of our proposal as Gaudiya Vaishnavas as radical personalists we also share some quotes from Srila Prabhupada uh where he will mention even that liberated great advanced devotees will express emotions kinds such as anger anger and so on so what to speak of a sadaka <clears throat> but they won't well they wouldn't be disturbed by them 
they will experience them <clears throat> allow them to happen but not being completely overwhelmed by them because if, if we engage in that direction okay I will reject emotions so I'm not overwhelmed by them that that is another way of speaking about emotional apathy and making our heart more and more insensitive probably and getting more and more <clears throat> far from the ultimate goal that we want to attain as Gaudias, which is to enter a whole world of emotion or bhava. So, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> if as sadakas <clears throat> we develop a type of dislike for emotion, however it may come, in a very indirect way we may be rejecting all the emotional prospect that is waiting for us in the ultimate goal. So remember, we are <clears throat> spiritual beings trying to be fully human. And being fully human means allowing our emotions, giving place to that in the sadhaka project. <clears throat> All that integrations will give, it, give us entrance into Naralila, where fully divin full divinity and full humanity are all perfectly present. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I'm perfectly integrated. And of course, we always speak about the physical body, for example, has the potential to become fully spiritualized. That's another definition of matter that can be fully, has the potential to become fully spiritualized. So why don't to extend that same idea to our psychic body? Something with the potential of becoming fully spiritualized, including our emotions. In, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we have the concept of Tadiya Seva, or rendering service to the paraphernalia that is offered in to Krishna in service, and honoring that, like Jashoda showed in the Damodar Lila by taking care of the milk that was boiling. That was an example of Tadiya Seva. And it is sometimes said that the worship of, those, of that paraphernalia is higher than the direct worship of Krishna. So we can see our body, physical body, psychic body, as potential paraphernalia to be engaged in the service of Krishna. So we can pay attention to our emotions and so many other things in the context of Tadiya Seva. Mm. This in no way is downplaying the glory, glory and role of position of Bhakti, but actually extolling her reach, her power, mm, the capacity of enveloping, embracing everything into its, her fold. And we concluded last class of speaking about an Arthanibriti, in connection to this idea of individuation, bear in mind we are talking about individuation in this recap, and uh, on trying to integrate complexity, basically. An art and liberty means integration of complexity, shadow work, individuation, we share some parallels. And we also gave some homework in relation to meditate, all of us, each of us, meditate on those emotions or reflect about those emotions that you personally consider that are more are the more stigmatized and dismissed in our Sampradaya, at least in your particular experience of Gaudiya Sampradaya. And what you can do as personal commitment to create some change about it, starting, starting always at home as usual. So that was a brief recap of last week's class, second class on individuation. So today we will start now with an introduction to today's class, first class on non-dual thinking, let's brief some, let's share some brief words about the title of the talk, non-dual thinking, again, part one. Everything is one, 
but never impersonal. So, of course, we already spoke in our previous classes of individuation about our uniqueness as an individual, the principle of diversity, and trying to balance that equation, if you will, in today's lecture and the next one, we'll try to balance that by speaking about unity. We already spoke about uniqueness and diversity. Let's speak now about unity in the context of non-dual thinking, which basically has to do with the awareness of what makes us connected as part of the same unit, sharing a common source, basically. And how everything is interconnected with our source in common. Because, as we will see, especially for us as Gaudias to begin with, there's only one single underlying non-dual foundation to reality. Reality is non-dual, it's not dualistic, split and fragmented, but it's unified and non-dual. And we all share that common foundational ground. And all of this is an aspect of radical personalism. All this foundation allow, allow the diversity and uniqueness of our individuality to be expressed even ultimately <clears throat> in Lila. So to speak about non-dual thinking, don't mistake, it's not just about to speak about radical non-dualism or impersonalism. Mm -hmm. We all can be one in a way that is not impersonal. So there is place for non-dual thinking in radical personalism, mm -hmm. in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So today we will also explore uh, the consequences of falling to embrace the idea of non-dual thinking or our non-dual side in our Gaudi equation, which is a potential failure not only in our way of conceiving things philosophically, but also especially in how we relate to other people, to other devotees, to other religions, to life in general, if we lose sight of our non-dual foundation, which will be the consequences of that. And again, here we are talking not only about non-dual, but non-dual thinking. So we are speaking about a way of thinking. Thinking means a way of thinking. And a way of thinking implies a whole lifestyle. Not only a mere like theological stance. We Gaudias are proposed non-dual thinking. But how that translates in the way we behave on our daily basis. How the non-dual thinking expresses itself in every single moment of our life. We'll try to explore at least on some level all this. So, for example, in our previous classes, we spoke about, just to share some examples of non-dual thinking. In our previous classes, we spoke about how Krishna is fully divine and fully human at the same time. Human-like doesn't mean a little, a little bit of human, but not human. No, human-like means fully human, and the like has to do with divine, fully divine. So it's his human life because he's also fully divine, but also fully human. And not only him, but we have the same prospect in Lila, especially in relation to him, to become fully human and fully divine. But the point is that without employing non-dual thinking, uh, these two ideas will seem contradictory in a dualistic framework how you can be fully human and at the same time fully divine. So you have to resort to non-dual thinking to embrace this crucial aspect of our tradition. Or when I began this series, we also spoke about, I mentioned how because I love Gaudiya Vaishnavism, I dare to criticize Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Which again, in a dualistic mind, this may not fit. How can you love something 
uncriticize it at the same time. But in a non-dual perspective, if you will, there's a place for those two things nourishing each other. Hmm? Indeed, our, our main Gaudiya doctrine can only be understood in non-dual terms, hmm? which is our main non-Gaudiya doctrine, Bheda Bheda. Achintya Bheda Bheda Tattva. Bheda Bheda means different and non-different, simultaneously. <laughs> in a dualistic mind, you cannot digest that one. Hmm? That's why it is a Bheda Bheda Achintya. Achintya means inconceivable, incomprehensible, unless you turn to Shastra. Something is a chintya as unless and as long as you don't turn to revelation. And when you turn to Shastra, what do you find in Shastra? In Shastra, you, un you understand that reality is non-dual. That's what Shastra is telling us, we will share today. And Shastra will reveal the underlying foundation of reality is non-duality, non-dualism. So we officially have a non-dual doctrine as Gaudias, but again, one thing is to have the doctrine. We may have a non-dual doctrine, but we may not have the non-dual mind that is required to understand the non-dual doctrine. So we need to be provided with a proper way of understanding non-dual thinking as to take advantage of that, if you will, in our practice and life. So in this series, and or in this section of our Radical Personalism series, we are trying to emphasize this need <clears throat> to develop a non-dual mind, non-dual thinking, to properly relate to reality which is non-dual in nature. Mm -hmm. A vision of reality that is integrated, again, not fragmented, mm -hmm. where diversity is allowed, mm -hmm. but on a non-dual foundation, on a totally unified ground. That's non-dual thinking. In other words, non-dual thinking teaches that the inseparability, if that's the correct word, the, of all that exists, mm -hmm. It's neither a concept, nor an experience, nor something to attain. Hmm. That's not non-dual, but our very nature. Non-dual is our very nature, not something even to attain. Hmm. But that's the, our very nature and the nature of reality itself. Hmm. Whatever is dual, it represents what is not our nature, if you will. Like a distorted perception hmm, <clears throat> of the ultimate non-dual foundation. So again, to, these are not just nice words hmm, to pronounce, non-dual thinking, but this is a reality to become aware of, hmm, to realize reality is non-dual. This is a way of thinking <clears throat> that probably most of us need to be trained in, how to live life and see everything through the lens of non-dual thinking. So today's lecture may be a little bit more philosophical than usual, but please bear in mind that this is, has very important practical implications, and all this remains in the context of radical personalism. So after this brief uh, <clears throat> introduction, so to say, or explanation of the title of today's talk, let's continue with the next section, speaking about how Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a non-dual tradition. I already mentioned that in general, <clears throat> but let's share some examples and quotes from Shastra that clearly make this point. Mm -hmm. So again, many of us may still be accustomed to relate non-dualism to impersonalism, to radical non-dualism, to Advaita Vedanta. Advaita means non-dual. Mm -hmm. But it's important to bear in mind that we Gaudias are also non-dual tradition, mm -hmm. not in the same way as impersonalism, as Advaita Vedanta's radical non-dualism, 
but we have an, a non-dualism of our own after all. Mm. Indeed, every school of Hindu mystical theology and every mystical theology outside of Hinduism, for that matter, they must be non-dual in nature for them to be a mystical tradition, for, they, for them to convey an actual mystical proposal, because mystical and non-dual are basically synonyms. I will be using both of them as synonymous here, mystical, non-dual. Because if we do not embrace some form of non-dualism in one school or another, then we will have dualism as the remaining option. And, and as soon as we invoke dualism, of course, the mystical aspect of the tradition will evaporate as a result of that. So non-dual thinking is the foundation of every mystical tradition, including Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And in each particular school, of course, this non-dual, the approach to non-duality will differ, because if not, we will be all the same, have some Pradaya and the same Siddhanta and the same philosophy. But we agree on this foundation, universal foundation of reality. So let's go to some examples of how our Gaudiya tradition is uh, non-dual in nature. And so let's go to a famous section in Shastra, among many others, that establishes how reality is non-dual. And this is a very, very, very famous verse from Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, second chapter, verse 11. Badanti tattvavidas tattvajyanamadvayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavaniti Shabdhati. This is a very famous verse upon which Srila Jiva Goswami expanded and composed and unfolded his whole Satsandarvas. So you can imagine how important that verse must be not only for him but for all of us following his footsteps. So here in this verse, reality is the sign referred to as Tattva and reality is defined as Advaigyan or non dual. Advaigyan, consciousness. Advaigyan tattva, reality is non-dual consciousness. This is a very famous verse of the Bhagavatam. And it expresses itself in a diverse way as Brahman, Paramatman, Bhagavan. But these three are different degrees of perception of this same non-dual reality. So unity and diversity are there, but it starts speaking about how reality is first non-dual, and then you can speak about diversity on that basis, on that foundation. So the word Gyan is generally understood as knowledge, but here in this particular verse it means consciousness, and Advai means non-dual. So Tattva or reality is Advai Gyan, non-dual consciousness. Basically this line tells us that the most fundamental aspects of reality, remember referred to as Tattva, are two. Again, it is conscious, Gyan, and it is non-dual, Advai. That's, those are the two most fundamental aspects of reality in itself. Conscious and non-dual. Advai, Gyan, Tattva. Please try to learn this, this term because I will refer to it quite often and it's very important. Also interestingly, the term Advai or non-dual includes the word Dwai. Advai. Dwai means duality. So Advai means non-duality. So the idea is that if Dwai is included in Advai, duality is included in non-dual reality. An aspect of non-dual reality is duality on some level. So, but duality, the difference with, between duality and non-duality is that duality is not self-existence. It's not for and it for, for itself. As, as, um, what's the name of? Hegel will say, like Sri Sermash will quote, reality is for itself, by itself. This is not the case in duality. 
So self-existent reality is one, not two. No, we don't have two self-existent realities. It's one and it's non-dual, of course, because if not, it will be more than it will be more than one. However, when I when we say that the absolute reality is non-dual, and please bear in mind this, this doesn't mean that only one thing exists and there's no variety whatsoever. That will be the proposal of Advaita Vedanta. There's only Brahman. That's the only thing that is true. Brahman, Satya, Jagat, Nitya, everything else is false. That's not our proposal. So the word non-dual for us Gaudiya Vaishnavas basically indicate two things. Again, that absolute reality is self-existent, meaning that it's grounded in itself and depends on no external support. And two, that nothing else can exist independent of this non-dual, the support of this non-dual reality. So this non-dual reality is independent, self-existent, doesn't need any support, but is supporting everything else and everyone else. Mm. Of course, we will call ultimately this non-dual reality Sri Krishna's Devatan says <clears throat> it can be called Brahman, it can be called Paramatma, it can be called Bhagavan, and inside Bhagavan we will go deeper into the notion of Krishna and the notion of Braja Krishna, Sriman Mahaprabhu, and so on. So this is the beginning of the Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam almost begins by establishing Reality is non-dual consciousness. So similarly to this initial verse, at the very closing of the Bhagavatam, in the very last canto 12, in the very last chapter 13, almost the very last verse, not the last but almost, verse 12, the Bhagavatam invokes the terms bastu advitiyam, which again is another way of saying advaigyan. Advitiyam is advai, and bastu means substance. So reality is non-dual, basically. This is the idea at the end of the Bhagavatam, in the context of what the Bhagavatam say while wrapping up its content, the subject matter of this book is Vastu Advitiyam. The subject matter of this book is non-dual reality. So the whole Bhagavatam is about non-dual reality or about how reality is non-dual, how non-dual reality plays itself out in the context of variety and diversity also. Krishna Lila is the crown of the Bhagavatam. So it's important to, to, to appreciate and learn, oh, this is all in our tradition. We are not bringing these ideas from other sampradaya. So reality is non-dual, which basically means there's nothing that exists separate from it. That will be dualism. Here is there, this thing, here is another thing, totally disconnected, totally independent from each other. But in our view of of reality, our worldview, cosmovision, the only thing that exists is Krishna and his potencies, Shaktiman and Shakti, one interconnected with each other eternally. So there is not fragmented reality. So Krishna and his Shaktis, in one sense, they are non-different from each other, Abhed, although simultaneously different, Bed, Achinti Abhed, Abhed Tattva. So there is a foundation of non-duality and unity which allows for proper diversity to be expressed on that foundation, which we call harmony. Harmony is diversity expressed on the foundation of unity. So let's briefly recap to make this idea clear, since for some of you it may be the first time you are hearing all the things. So while Gaudiya Vaishnavism pr proposes that reality is ultimately non-dual consciousness, again, Advai Gyan Tattva, this proposal is not entirely synonymous with the proposal of impersonalism and their radical non-dualism. Uh, 
Our non-dualism in this case is not radical. We are radical personalists, not radical non-dualists. In their case, radical non-dualism is, to the very core, everything is non-dual. There's no diversity whatsoever. Only there is Brahman as real. That's not our doctrine. So we have non-duality, but not to the point of radical non-dualism. And also, Gaudiya Vaishnavism includes and allows the existence of diversity and individuality, even in eternity, in Lila. But so much diversity doesn't make Gaudiya Vaishnavism a school of dualism either. We are not radical non-dualists, but we are not dualists either, nor radical dualists. But we are something that harmonizes these two opposites, something in between the two. We are not radical non-dualism, we are not radical dualism. We may call our proposal non-radical non-dualism <laughs> or nuanced non-dualism, unity in diversity, or again, as it traditionally goes, achintya, ved, aveda, tattva, or inconceivable simultaneous unity and diversity, or inconceivable bipolarity, in the words of Srila Siddhar Maharaj. Another term for achintya, ved, aveda, tattva, coming more from our Western uh, schools, is panentheism. Not pantheism, but panentheism. Pan means all, in means in, and theos or theism means God. So God, or all in God, everything in God. <clears throat> Not only God there and the world here creating a dichotomy and some form of duality, <clears throat> like some forms of theism will propose, not the extreme of pantheism, where the world has become God, but he doesn't have his own independent, if you will, personal existence, but God and everything interconnected with each other. In our particular tradition, Achintya Veda Veda Tattva, which is a term coined by Srila Jiva Goswami, again, the term Tattva means reality. And Veda Veda refers to reality simultaneously one and difference, both non-dual and diverse. Things are not totally one, are not totally a Veda, that will be Brahman, all is one, all is Brahman in every sense of the term. But things are not totally two, because that will amount to dualism, bad. So reality is not all fully aved and it's not fully bad. We, 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 we don't like extremes as Gaudias. We like the middle point. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is the middle path. So in this way, by establishing this middle point, because if we only have unity, that will be boring. If there's only one thing, there's nobody else. There's nobody. There's nothing to do. There's no loving exchanges because there's nobody else. So unity may be boring, non, extreme non-unity, extreme non-differentiation. And only diversity may be generally experienced also as conflictive and divisive, only fragmentation, separation. But when there is unity, non-dual foundation, diversity becomes complementary to the unity, serving that unit, unitarian, unitive foundation and enhances beauty and enhances harmony. In musical terms, harmony means you have different notes, difference, diversity, but they sound like one single thing. There is unity. They are serving one same purpose. <clears throat> so in this way, we, we speak about non-duality. And, and the Bhagavatam, as we can see, have extolled the glories of non-duality from the beginning till the very end, throughout the whole treatise, the whole book is about non-dual thinking, if you will, and revolves around this notion, but also to make 
also extols the glories of non-duality by contrast, by speaking about or showing how dual thinking, dualistic thinking, is the source of all problems. Which means non-dual thinking is the source of all solutions. So there's a famous verse in the bottom, and so on, which basically this verse says, dual, all difficulty, all fear, all problems arise when we see something other than Krishna. <clears throat> When we see something separate from Krishna, where Krishna is not being included in the in the equation, dualistic mentality, dvitiya, on a, on, on the, on, by contrast to advitiya, we could we call that sometimes separate interest. We have a, an interest which is separate from a non-dual ground, a dualistic mentality. Krishna is here or there, and something else over here is separate from him. So Srila Siddhar Maharaj will say in this connection that the first deviation from Advai Gyan, or from the principle of non-duality, the first deviation is the conception of separate interest, Dvitiya, this idea of seeing reality as fragmented. That's in one sense also the this, this scenario, scenario in which the Bhagavad Gita begins. Dharma Kshetri Kurukshetri Samaveta Yujut Sabaha Pandavas Mamakas Chaibakima Kurubhata Sanjaya Dhritarashtra is mentioning making a clear distinction between my sons and the Pandavas <clears throat> in creating this duality no? Dhritarashtra represents dualistic mind and his dualistic mind is the one that somehow if you study Mahabharata is the one that creates the war he could have avoided the war but he chose to keep this idea of on one side I have Duryodhan, my favorite child, and all my other child's children, and on the other side the Pandavas. <clears throat> so dualism, this is this has a very high degree of symbolism where the Bhagavad Gita begins. So sim dualism is the, the birthplace to all war, to all conflict. In the Bible there is one verse similarly that says that by eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which basically will refer to dualistic thinking, you will die. So it's another way of putting the same idea. So my point is, this idea is everywhere. It's not only in the Bhagavatam. We find that in every religious, mystical tradition. Mm. So we need to embrace our non-dual side, but also we need to understand in which way we Gaudias are non-dual, in which particular way our tradition is non-dual. Uh, and a proper understanding of this middle point, which is not an extreme of radical non-dualism nor dualism, will prove crucial, again, not only as a theological stance, but to how we relate with everything, with reality itself, because, again, reality is non-dual. So how we relate with everything, with reality, which is non-dual, and failing to do so, failing to relate with real to reality as non-dual, may filter every aspect of our existence with a dualistic vision that will go against the very viewpoint of our school. So similarly, as we already spoke in the past, we are a personalist tradition, but sometimes we may misrepresent our tradition by behaving in ways that are depersonalized and impersonal. Similar, we are a non-dual tradition and we consider reality as non-dual, but we may misrepresent our own school by behaving in dualistic terms. So it's important to have this in place, at least to begin with conceptually, to understand that and, and gradually embrace that, embody that. So let's next share, go to a new section and share some examples of how to ideally apply this viewpoint hmm, of non-dual thinking and share some further 
examples in Shastra hmm, about this. So let's go to, to another section, conceptual examples of non-dual thinking in our Gaudiya tradition. Hmm. Just for us to continue seeing how this is all over the place in our own school. This is not a new fancy way of speaking or anything like that. So, for example, continuing with the Srimad Bhagavatam, when, when it describes the, the, the vision, the inner symptoms of Uttam Bhagavat, the high, the topmost devotee, the Bhagavatam is saying, Sarvabhutesu, Yatpasyet, and, and so on, describing that the highest type of devotees are seeing the presence of Krishna within everything, and they are seeing everything being situated in Krishna and in relationship to Krishna. Hmm? So that's the vision of the highest devotee, non-dual thinking. Everything is in Krishna, Krishna is in everything. Not only a theory, but a vision. Similarly, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the sixth chapter, there's a similar verse. And so on. Krishna is saying, For one who sees me in everything, and sees everything in me, I'm never lost to him, and he is never lost to me. So it's another way of saying the same thing. The person who has this type of non-dual thinking is seeing me in everything. This is not impersonalism. It's non-dual thinking. Gaudiya non-dual thinking. And he's seeing everything in me, situated in me, in relationship with me, not fragmented, not disconnected. And for that person, I'm never lost, and he's never lost to me. So these are clear examples of non-dual thinking. God is everything, and everything is God. Or to be more precise, if you will, God is in everything and everything is in God. Mm -hmm. Try to meditate about this mm -hmm. and go beyond your mind with these type of ideas. Mm -hmm. to, to meditate on this, this, this is a part of our tradition to meditate on these truths. This is not Mayavad, this is not impersonalism, this is not something that that only belongs to mystical Christianity or Sufism or any other mystical tradition. This is right here in our main books, in our main Shastra. But we may lose, lose sight of it. So let's, it's always time to reclaim our own tradition in ourselves. So of course someone may say that, okay Maharaj, but the above verses you quoted from the Bhagavatam and Gita basically depict the vision of the topmost devotee, who is this Krishna everything, everything in Krishna, but but we are not there yet, so that not, does not apply to us in our particular situation. We cannot imitate that, and it's okay, I agree, but at least we shouldn't start by theoretically accepting these facts. Reality is non-dual, ultimately I should develop that vision, and in theory I should appreciate that state that those higher devotees are exhibiting, so I can someday enter there gradually. I will never enter a state that Initially, I'm not appreciating in theory. And that's a definition of sadhana bhakti that sometimes I like to share. Sadhana bhakti could be described as a theoretical appreciation of the reality of bhava bhakti and prema bhakti. You cannot imitate bhava prema bhakti, but you can start to be instructed and educated about that and appreciate that reality and long for that through your sadhana. So as sadhakas, most of us are in that stage of sadhana, in one of the different chapters of it. We should try to conceive these sections of Shastra that speak about the highest attainment, the highest vision, non-dual thinking, and see how also those sections, how that non-dual thinking, which fully blooms in the vision of the highest devotee, 
how that can be expressed and translated in my particular situation, in my daily life at practice. Mm? So we should ask these questions to ourselves in a, in a healthy way. Am I aware of, on a daily basis, that everything is in Krishna and that Krishna is in everything? How much do I think about that? How much do I focus my attention in that direction? How, how can I start, if that's not the case, how can I start getting closer to such vision? Where I am now, from my present situation. Remember, you won't get to that highest vision of non-dual thinking from one day to another, you get there gradually. It's not that we have no experience of that, no experience of that, no experience of that, and suddenly we arrive there. It doesn't work like that. So if we have want to reach that, and we should, if we want to attain the goal of our practice, we should start here and now, somehow or other. And we live in a globalized world, in this connection, <laughs> which in some say by something globalized implies lots of interconnection with other people and cultures and influences. So lots, it's full of diversity. Our lives, our world is full of diversity. But generally this globalized, diverse world lacks unity in many ways, promoting therefore a dualistic mentality, individualistic mentality, and all the conflict, of course, that ensues from that. So our contribution of Gaudias in this connection could be Okay, let's try to bring more unity into the picture, into the already existent diversity. There is all already we have full of lots of diversity in the globalized world. So probably we can bring some non-dual thinking, some unity probably. It's not only by talking about non-dual thinking, but how much I can experience. Again, God's presence in everything. That's an important aspect of non-dual thinking. God's everywhere. God is in every heart. God is in every atom, even, in our, according to our vision and tradition. Mm. That's one aspect, no? In, in this connection, one example that we could bring to the picture is that of Siradak Sai Vishnu, another word of referring to Paramatma, Krishna, mm. another form of the, one of the names of the Absolute. Mm. He's residing not only in every heart, but also in every atom. Every pore, in every, every, every atom is an embassy of the Supreme Lord, we could say poetically. Every pore, pore of creation is oozing with the presence of the Divine. Try to imagine how beautiful, how poetic, hmm? but how much we are aware of that. Hmm? So this is non-dual thinking. You cannot understand that in another way. Now, God is in every atom and simultaneously he has his own about where he resides with his associates. Without non-dual thinking, you cannot grasp these beautiful truths. Without non-dual thinking, you cannot basically grasp any of the main sections of Shastra or the teachings of Shastra. Most of them will remain incomprehensible for us if we do not embrace non-dual thinking. So it's very important. So, and again, while speaking about this, let's be careful of being dualistic. If I say, okay, Paramatma is in every atom, some may say, well, but that's Paramatma, that's not Krishna. Yes and no. Of course, we, we have a difference between Paramatma and Krishna, but in another way, they are the same. Because the Absolute is non-dual. So be careful of creating a split in the Absolute, in your own mind, of course. Because there, is, but there may be a difference between the two, but it's equally important to keep the unity between the two faces of the Absolute. We go just have a very sophisticated and detailed way of 
expressing all these things, and for sure, only other traditions may only use the term God in every single case. God is there, God is here, God is this and that. And we may think as Gaudi as well, these traditions are too simplistic, not that well refined since they don't have nuanced ideas like Mahavishnu and Garbhadaksai Vishnu and, and Siddhaksai Vishnu. And while one could say that, <laughs> being so detailed as we are, Gaudias, that may create also its own problems. That's a great blessing. That's a great advantage, if you will, but also that can create a problem. And the problem is that by thinking too much in terms of Krishna and Paramatma and this and that, inadvertently, without, by losing sight of the non-dual aspect of the equation, we may be created a fragmented perception of God inside of us as God is. So let's next go to a new section, the next section, <clears throat> trying to address this. Let's speak about the dangers of being a part of an extremely specified tradition as we are, as Gaudias. We are extremely specified, extremely detailed, and it has its pros and cons, if we don't keep the proper picture in mind. So many of us do not generally think of God being in every atom and everyone's heart, much less have that vision. Or, or, or some of us may agree with that, but we'll say, that's not Krishna, as Gaudias. Again, we may say, that's Paramatma. Krishna is in Vrindavan with the cows and gopas and gopis and not in every atom. That's Ksirodakasai Vishnu. And again, if we don't have a proper non-dual framework, we will be creating a dualistic split, a dualistic fragmented division in, the absolute, in our conception of the Absolute. But remember, reality is non-dual. So the Absolute is always absolute. It's always non-dual. The infinite... Krishna is another way of speaking to him is the infinite, and the infinite is all present, everywhere, always, <laughs> every place, all time. So be careful with once you over localized God's action in one place, in one mission, in one form, in one ritual, in one deity, or any other kind of event. Once you over localized God, we can easily conclude that if he's only there. And he's not in another place. Mm -hmm. Or even worse, you may think he's not available everywhere and at all time, which goes quite against the very definition of the Absolute. Which again, we may not be aware of, but we may be indulging into those types of misconceptions. Mm -hmm. So we emphasize, of course, that God is immanent and he's transcendent. No? So he's fully present in the world, even in every atom, but also he's beyond it. He's not touched by the influence of this world and he has his own abode and lila. So he's simultaneously immanent and transcendent. And while we emphasize that in theory, I personally think we do not emphasize enough or we do not understand or feel enough God's all-pervasive side, even in every atom and every heart. Uh, and we end up conceiving the divine somewhere upstairs in the lila. Mm. Tradition is over there and we point to the to the sky or something. <laughs> so we create that kind of split. He's there, he's not here. And that bears lots of consequences, we will see. So in this but in the same way as, as it's crucial to have non-dualism in place first before going to the diversity of the Lila, and first become aware of non-dual foundation before you before you go to the specified details, 
as that is equally crucial, another way of saying the same thing will be, please first try to have the immanent aspect of God in place, God everywhere, in every heart, everything, and only then address the transcendent. Because if not, you may conceive of these things as dualistic and lose sight of how God appears in your life in, in, in the most immediate moments. And by understanding this, actually you will be able to perceive if you perceive God as immanent here, you perceive transcendence here. Because Krishna comes here on earth, he executes his lila while not being affected by this world. <laughs> so that's a very interesting combination. Again, we have immanence and transcendence. God is entering the world and remaining transcendent at the same time. Again, in conclusion will be, God is not out there, somewhere out there. This notion easily allows to remain dualistic in thinking. Or some other example that comes to mind. I remember last year we were in Narasimha Chaturdasi, and I remember giving a lecture on how Narasimha Dev is non-different from Mahaprabhu, trying to emphasize this non-dual conception. Mahaprabhu is the golden lion. Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself, and Krishna is the source of all avatars. Narasimha Dev included. So, all these avatars are the same person. Narasimha is an aspect of Mahaprabhu for us Godias. He's not a different person. He's not a different God. This is a very basic point. <laughs> but have you thought about that? And how you think about that? Because usually we don't stop sometimes and really process, reflect upon the thing. So the result of lack of reflection is that in, in a case like this, we may eventually realize, oh my gosh, I have a dualistic notion of God. I'm thinking as Nrsimhadeva as one person, and Krishna is another person. He's Mahaprabhu, he's Narasimha Dev, he's Matsya, he's Kurma. How do we internally relate to all these ideas in our bhajan, in our practice? How do we relate to all these unlimited phases of the Absolute, which are asankhyam according to the Bhagavatam, uncountable? So do we relate to them as being one person, one same person expressing itself differently, non-dual foundation? Do we relate to them in non-dual terms, in other words, or do, or do we relate to them through dualistic thinking, which will affect our Abhideya and Prayojan, if that's not in proper place in our Sambandha? So all faces of God, again, they are different in one sense, but are still the same person. So how much we are contemplating that, how much all that works in our mind, in our head, in our conception, there is diversity, but too much diversification can make us dualistic very easily. And although we have a non-dual foundation, as we mentioned as Godias, in principle, if we don't have the foundation in our own foundation, so to say, we just become kind of polytheistic because we will see many gods disconnected from one another instead of one non-dual reality. So try to think about that. We are not polytheistic, but we may think in those terms by thinking, here's Nursing Hadev, here's this, here's that. Mm -hmm. Of course, and all of us can say, no, they are all one. We can say that. But we may lack that realization. Mm -hmm. So we may be monotheistic and non-dual on a leap level, but on the realization level, we may still remain polytheistic, for example. Mm -hmm. And again, we go this 
have that danger, so to say, because of how much nuance and diversified is our tradition. We have such a pantheon of unlimited faces of the Absolute, not only with the three Vishnus, so to say, Purusha avatars, we have Krishna in Braj, Krishna in Dwarka, Krishna in Mathura, all these different faces of him. We have the Panchatattva, which is God in five features of five yeah, faces. We have the Das avatar, ten different divine descents, all of them being the same person. Well, on another category, we have 33 million demigods, <laughs> but that's another, that's another department. But my point is, if non-dual thinking is not emphasized enough, we may get lost into a sea of diversity and, and, and create a whole fragmented conception of the divine. And if we conceive of the divine as fragmented, that will extend to every other aspect of reality, probably, as we will see today. And we will be end up being dualistic in any other aspect of our life because we started with the very root, God, seeing himself in, no, in dualistic terms. So, and on top of that, again, going back, if we are as Godias, we have also so much attack against Mayabhat, against non-dual Vedanta, at least as Advaita Vedanta it is understood. So if we are so much against that type of non-dual thinking without understanding we are also non-dual, we may end up being extremely dualistic because of so much attack against non-dual Advaita. So on one side, non-dualism has to be attacked. We may think in that way in relation to Advaita Vedanta. And on another side of your tradition, your tradition is so much diversified that without the proper emphasis on non-dualism, you can easily become dualistic, again, even polytheistic. So, in, a, in other words, to put it in another terms, if we try to breathe the full air of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the full pran of, of our Sampradaya, only through the lung of diversity, then this will leave us with a very incomplete vision and version of who we actually are, of all that we can be uh, as a non-dual tradition. So you also use the lung of non-dual thinking to balance the, the overdose of diversity, so to say. <clears throat> so in summary, before going to another topic, because we are an ultra-specified tradition in terms of the level of theological detail and the subtleties of post-liberated life and the lila, which is all that too much, not too much as a criticism, but there's a lot of emphasis on the Veda side, on different side, diversity side. And also because of the abundance of historical opposition to impersonalism, of radical non-dualism, too much rejection of the Aveda side, of the non-different side, we go this by having these two things run the risk of easily becoming dualistic and end up rejecting all expressions of non-dualism, including the one that we are supposed to be to represent. And to make things even worse, if you will, if on top of this we add an extreme level again of theological detail and specificity, as we find in our tradition, but with a heavy, heavily dualistic framework as many of the Gaudiya representatives or misrepresentatives express sometimes, then we will basically bring down the whole spiritual realm to dualistic terms. No? Because on your lip level you speak about lila and details, but on another level you conduct yourself in an extremely dualistic way. So that makes the whole lila something dualistic, the way you represent it, through example, worldly, basically. And that's not the idea. <laughs> 
Because again, it's on a lila works on the foundation of non-duality, remember. Non-dual thinking, non-dual consciousness is the ground on which the lila is performed. The diversified expression of spiritual life, so to say, lila is a word for that, happens on the foundation of non-duality. Without foundation, you have no lila. No foundation, no lila, no foundation, no, no sustainable spiritual project at all. So therefore, we need to become deeply aware of how non-dualism plays itself out in Gaudi Vaishnavism, in radical personalism, and how to properly embody ourselves, such a principles, through each and every one of our actions. And just a disclaimer, as usual here, we, we are not criticizing for sure <clears throat> the essence of the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the essence of our tradition. We are just analyzing how we may be dealing hmm, with that essence at present ourselves hmm, and what we may need to adjust in our conception of things, in our way to approach reality, so we can take more advantage of this. Hmm. And yes, of course, this still may be difficult. Some of you may tell me it's difficult. So why is difficult? So let's go to the next section where we will try to address this point. Why it is so difficult for us to see our non-dualistic side as a tradition? Because again, we are a non-dual tradition, reality is non-dual, but still may be so difficult for us to embrace that. So why? It is said that, interestingly, like what, what mystics often intuit and live scientists later proved to be true. Mm. So all mystics have said reality is not dual. And interestingly, nowadays scientists are proving that. Mm. Interestingly enough, contemporary science, especially quantum physics and so on, they are recognizing that in relation to everything else, there is no solitary anything in the universe. Mm. Everything is completely interconnected. So, which is another way of speaking about non-dual reality. So, even scientists are seeing are seeing this, but probably we are not seeing that yet. <laughs> so, we should even be open to learn from them. So, again, why why it's so difficult for us to to embrace non-duality? As we mentioned, one reason may be the strong opposition to Advaita Vedanta for centuries, which everyone, including some of the Gaudias, may still identify as. Non the only form of non-dualism or even relate to Vedanta and not relate ourselves with that. But another reason to this connection may be that, to be directly and honest, that probably most of us were not taught to conceive things in that way, to think in non-dual terms, to learn to appreciate how, in the words of Richard Rohr, everything belongs. He has a book with that title on this topic of non-dualism. So many times we were actually taught to distinguish. Instead of seeing everything, the unity of everything and how everything belongs, many times we have been taught to distinguish what belongs and what does not belong. Who belongs, who does not belong. So then we have a right to exclude those who do not belong. So, so non-dual thinking is that we are trying to present here is not so much a matter of presentation, how to present things with a new language. We are not here proposing some fancy alternative way of talking about things. It's mostly a matter of conception, to learn to conceive things in a proper way, to see reality as non-dual. If we, if we don't have the proper conception in place, 
we cannot present that to others. So it's not a matter of presentation, but first it's a matter of conception. One person thinks in certain way because one conceives things in certain way. So how do we understand that God is everywhere and that reality is non-dual? First we have to go there. Which is our conception of that? How do we make that fit into our Go our Gaudiya landscape, you know, into our Gaudiya glossary and descriptions? Yes, God is infinite, so there are endless possibilities in Him, of course. There is diversity in all directions, and therefore God can be personal and impersonal. We have Brahman there, we have Bhagavan there. But again, all this plays out on a non-dual basis. Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan are all features on the same Advaigyan Tattva, or non-dual reality. So, by speaking about non-dual thinking, and just... Clarifying, just in case, we are not trying just to merely change the language to reach new audiences. Let's speak in a new, cool, contemporary, updated way, new age or whatever. And we are not either changing the philosophy, an original concept of our tradition, as we are seeing this idea of non-dual thinking is rooted in our very tradition. And of course, these two are not the only two. These are not the only two options. Just adjusting for the sake of outreach or distorting the, the teaching. There's not just one or two black and white. There's a third one. And again, it's a change in the conception, not necessarily a deviation from the conception, not necessarily a matter of presentation. <coughs> but we need to change the conception. Remember, we gave a class on Sambanda a few weeks ago, or months. How do we conceive the concept? That's Sambanda, not only receiving information, but how we are conceiving that. A new language is not necessarily... To have a new language of, to express something is not necessarily for reaching out other people, or f but for making things the, for making the process relevant for us. Mm -hmm. So another way of saying Advaigyan Tattu is non-dual thinking, and that's not something new. Maybe a particular way to speak about something, not to reach to other audiences, but so the process reaches deeper place inside of us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are. We are too concerned with making Krishna consciousness relevant for the world, and it's okay, I'm not condemning that. It's a, it's a valid concern. But first we should ask, how relevant is Krishna consciousness for me to begin with? And how, how much more relevant can it be? And what do I need to do for that to happen? Hmm? How relatable is Krishna consciousness to my own self so I can fully identify with that proposal and ideal to the point of eternity embracing that? Hmm? Eternally embracing that. So how do we relate internally to all these concepts, to all these ideas? How much we are, by contrast, just regurgitating dogma, if you will, because of not being part, just just because of being part of the group, trying to fit in. I'm supposed to say this, to think like that. <coughs> or how much, by contrast, I'm belonging deeply, which is the opposite of just fitting in. So again, we need to make some necessary emphasis and necessary effort to properly conceive the concept. Hmm? Otherwise, we may be just passing on dogma, copy-paste, and that's not parampara, as we spoke some classes ago, you know, like passing your undigested trauma, unresolved trauma to the next generation, that's not parampara. So similarly, passing undigested dogma is not parampara either. Parampara means 
resolve your trauma following the previous example and pass your resolved trauma to the next generation so they are better equipped to deal with their own trauma, generational trauma, or following today's example, try to digest and conceive the concept and then pass that to others. Mm -hmm. Don't give undigested dogma. Mm -hmm. And even if we receive in Parampara something which has been already digested by our predecessors, Purvacharyas, we ourselves need to further need to further digest that and ruminate on that and think about that since the, whatever we are receiving from them, that food, so to say, that we are receiving in Parampara can be chewed and digested eternally. The Bhagavatam says, Puna punas charbita charvananam, Pralad Maharaj describes material life as chewing that thing that has been already chewed. But we can extend that idea into the transcendental principle of we are receiving something from our Purvacharas which they have relished and chewed and digested and processed. But the nature of that substance is eternal, so we can continually chew and new meanings and new flavors and taste will extract will come from that. So punapunas charvanam. We have to chew what has been already been chewed in the service of that past chewing, if you will, in the service of our past acharis. But if by contrast we receive something but we don't digest that and it get, it will just get stuck there, we will choke and over in time we will become like a tumor or, tumor or something. And we don't want that. That's not paramparan. That's not being a representative of parampara. So our acharyas have given us, sorry if I go for one minute in this direction, but our acharyas have given us something very very valuable, very precious. But we need to honor that by continuously expanding that gift in us, through us, by their grace. Their words are conclusive, but in another sense, the words are not the final word to the point that nothing else can be added or said to that. And this is the problem that the both sometimes make of all these works that are totally foundational for us, coming from our acharyas, for example. They say this is a final word. So if something is a final word, then nothing else can be said by definition. But instead, to be a member of a tradition implies trying to further elaborate based on the gift that we have received. It's not that you are rejecting the gift by expanding it. Actually, you are rejecting the gift by not expanding it. That's our participation and commitment as members of a parampara. So if someone will ask you, as it may happen, I can tell you, it has happened to me, <laughs> that who do you think you are by saying, by being, by trying to say more, than your own previous acharyas. And the reply will be basically, well, I'm a member of the parampara, <laughs> and therefore I have a right to study and to do this job of saying more. That's that what it means to be a participant, active member of the parampara. It's a participatory experience. But I'm saying more, not because I'm better than my purvacharya, but by the grace of them, I can say more. In the service of them, I can say more, and I should say more. And this is not only my duty to do that, but it's everyone's duty to do that if they participate in parampara. That, that means to be a member, and a, a living member of a living school of prophets, as we spoke in the past. So, sorry for the discretion, going back for a minute to our non-dual dual conundrum. Of course, when we speak about non-dual thinking, with this, we are not stigmatizing dualism hmm, to the point of demonizing it or something. 
in our attempt to promote non-dualism, indeed the basic skills of what we may call the first half of life, again in Jungian terms, uh, which is not has has not to do with some 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 number of years in your level level of preparation for further maturity. <clears throat> so the first half of life is based. The skills of the first half of life are mostly based on dualism, dividing the world into opposing categories of good, bad, us and them, safe, dangerous, friend, enemy, whatever, winner, loser, clean, clean dirty. <laughs> we need to have that framework to begin with, some point of reference. This skill of dualism will help us to form a, a container, so to say, or even a moral shape, to give moral shape to our lives. And then in the second half of life, we have the container, we have built it properly, then we can decide how to fill the container. That's a different thing. <laughs> and to do so, we need to develop new skills. And that connection, one of the skills will be non-dual thinking, non-dual seeing. But again, in this way, dual thinking or binary thinking, if you want, is not something wrong or bad in itself. In fact, it is necessary in many, if not most, situations. But however, dual thinking is not is completely inadequate for the major questions and dilemmas of life. When we are invited to go deeper, non-dual thinking is the necessity, the bigger picture there. So dualism is, is not in itself bad, but it's insufficient, in other words, to addressing the very foundation of reality. So we need to be educated. What's the nature of this foundation, non-dual foundation? And our lack of proper education on non-dual thinking, <clears throat> uh, again, both, both in relation to our tradition and in the world at large, not only for Gaudiya Bhaisana, but the, any lack of education on the non-dual nature of reality has resulted through, throughout, throughout history in, in, in other things like rationalism, secularism, uh, atheism on the left, so to say, and fundamentalism, tribal thinking, cognitive rigidity on the right. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's next see, try to un unpack these notions before reaching the end of today's lecture. Uh, <clears throat> let's go to a new section called further, or where we will be speaking about further consequences of remaining in dualistic thinking. Mm -hmm. This, again, does not only constitute a problem in mere theological terms, but may affect every single aspect of our daily existence. So, as we already said, to accept a blank opposition to all forms of non-dualism will then amount to philosophical dualism, like you see reality in dualistic terms philosophically, which of course runs the risk of not only missing our own non-dual, existential bedrock, so to say, but also of overflowing dualism, over philosophical dualism, the danger is that will be overflowing into other forms of dualistic thinking that will spring up from this dualistic or philosophical dualism, so to say, and forms like fundamentalism, as I say, tribalism, narrow-mindedness, and so on. So in other words, the price for rejecting all forms of non-dualism including the one we propose as Gaudiya tradition, is that we end up being becoming a dualistic tradition ourselves, or probably even worse, 
that you may end up representing a non-dual tradition in extremely dualistic terms, totally unbecoming. And again, not only philosophically, but through your through a whole dualistic lifestyle and attitudes. So that's the most unbecoming thing, bibatsaras, disgust. Now your tradition is non-dual in principle, but you are misrepresenting in an extremely non-dual in extremely dualistic terms. So how does this dualistic mindset express itself? Let me share a brief quote from Richard Rohr that I was reading these days. I'm quoting him a lot since I'm reading some books from him this last week. So it's very interesting. He's saying, uh, he's saying the following regarding the dualistic mindset. Dualistic or divided people live in a split and fragmented world. They cannot accept or forgive certain parts of themselves. They cannot accept that God objectively dwells within them. This lack of forgiveness takes the form of a tortured mind, a closed heart, or an inability to live calmly and proudly inside your own body. The fragmented mind sees parts, not wholes, in itself and others, and invariably it creates antagonism, reaction, fear, and resistance. Here is the normal sequencing of the dualistic mind. It compares, it competes, it conflicts, it conspires, it condemns, it cancels out any contrary evidence, and it then crucifies with impunity. We can call it the seven seas of delusion and the source of most violence. So each one of us have to be sincere enough as to see how much this fits our particular situation as individuals or group. But as you can imagine, we need a non-dual mind to continue as a Gaudiya, despite so many Gaudias misrepresenting their tradition in dualistic terms. And again, we may be one of them on some level or another. So we need to develop non-dualism even to deal with those misrepresentations, to be forgiving, to be reconciling, to still have hope. <laughs> so in this way, the dualism that we have in our own conception of reality, that we may have, hopefully not, that will express itself in a way that we not only conceive God, again, dualistically, but especially in how we relate to others, to other people, with each other, for example. And with all respect, but I, was, I should say that as Gaudius, we are pretty dualistic in, most, in many cases in this connection. We don't know many times how to relate with one another in conversation. Therefore, so much childish conflict in our sampradaya. We are not able to, to, to talk with the person, but we are, there's some, sometimes many prejudices. We don't take the time to be empathic with the other person, to hear the other person, to allow the other person's experience to inform our opinion of those people. And we rush into our own prejudiced idea of who they are, whatever. So again, part of that, I'm not saying this is only because of that, but one of the reasons could be that we may have a whole conception of reality that is dualistic and we project that in our relationship to others. You know, even if, if even in our own if our, in our own theological conception, most of us are not taught to be non-dual. That, that, that may be a, might create the problem. If we are dual to the core in how we see God, if we are dual to a core, how we see reality, 
how we see God, then we want to speak of how we will relate with each other. That will follow, that we will be on du in dualistic terms. Mm -hmm. So being dual and dualistic only means conflict, basically. Difference, division. If only there is dualism and not non-dualism. Mm -hmm. So if we have the idea of unity in place, non-dual thinking in place, then diversity does not mean divisive. Then diversity means complementary. It will add to the equation. But without unity, without non-dual thinking, mere dualism or diversity is divisive. And that's, at least personally, I find a lot of that today, not only in our community, of course, but also in our community. And of course, many of this dualism may be totally unconscious. It's not that we are aware that and choosing that voluntarily. Uh, and we may not be even aware that we are promoting that in the name of non-dualism. We are promoting dualism. For example, we maybe even speak a lot about diversity, representing our tradition in terms of our theological ideal and the level of detail there. Well, we don't have too much diversity of opinion in many cases. We don't have too much flexibility and capacity to, to agree hmm, that we may disagree or we may have a total, as I mentioned, lack of empathy and appreciation from other Vaishnav groups other Vaishnavs, what to speak of other mystical traditions, what to speak of non-mystical disciplines that can nonetheless teach us something. <laughs> we'll speak about more next class in that connection. Of course there may be, and there are exceptions to these, but still there are exceptions, still they are not the rule. But by rule we should be non-dual by nature, because that's the nature of our Sampradaya. So let's not use non-duality uh, because that can happen also. We may be extremely dualistic, but nonetheless invoke non-duality as an excuse for not engaging in our personal work. For example, we spoke about individuation last week. So we sometimes we may use about, invoke the idea of non-duality as an excuse for not engaging in individuation because the two of them have to balance one another. No? To be an individual, unique, diversified, but to have the non-dual foundation in place. No? In fact, it's quite easily to intellectually appropriate non-dual teachings and then use them to justify or rationalize some of our behavior or misbehavior. <clears throat> and another possibility before finishing of dualism, of being dualistic, how that it plays out in our daily life, that it's that it may is that we may end up creating a divide between this world and the next. So to say, we will speak about this in detail in future classes as well. Our relationship with this world, how to find transcendence there. But if we are dualistic, we will think material world, maya, temporary, miserable, and then transcendence. And that will affect our relationship with creation, with creatures, with human relationships, with our own body, material, physical, psychic, the suffering in this world, because we will just enter, only entertain notions such as we are not this body, we should leave this world as, as soon as possible, this burning samsara, all this world, all everything in this world is an illusion, etc. But actually our tradition is not promoting that. Hmm? Those dichotomies, that dualistic way of seeing things. Hmm? <clears throat> our tradition is promoting an integration of everything. We already spoke. <clears throat> Matter has the potential to become fully spiritualized. It's not to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Examples, again, Krishna himself coming to this world, 
Mahaprabhu himself descending, Gore Avatar, validating matter, validating this planet Earth, if you will, with all their entourage coming here, eh? presenting their lila, exhibiting their lila eternally in human-like terms. Mm. So the, and, and we, if we want to enter the lila, Vishwana Chakravarti Thakur mentions, we have to be born in, <clears throat> in one planet Earth where the lila is being enacted. So it's all revolving around this world, this planet. This world doesn't need to be rejected. What to speak of considering this world as an illusion? <clears throat> this world is not an illusion. The illusion is in how we see the world. Mm -hmm. But it can be properly appreciated from the right place, without illusion, <clears throat> like Mahaprabhu himself will, will do. When he... <clears throat> with the proper vision, all this world is becoming a portal to transcendence. And he will see Govardhan here, Jamuna there, Krishna over here, <clears throat> through every atom and every pore of creation. So in other words, in non-duality there is no need to disassociate from phenomena, if you will. No need to withdraw from life. No need for any form of bypassing, in other words. Because everything is deeply integrated. Everything is interconnected. Everything shares a common sacred source. Therefore, everything is sacred eternally, in potential, if we have the proper vision. Hmm? So everything is deeply integrated in non-dualism, but something that is also deeply integrated, sometimes the premise embedded in us, in how sometimes, in the way we sometimes still share our teaching with this dualistic split, spirit matter, as totally disconnected from each other. So a non-dual approach to our philosophy, I think that will mend this dualistic split that I personally find so problematic and, and to which I probably attribute the major problems of Gaudiya Vaishnavism even to that point. <laughs> so in summary, I'm reaching the end of today's presentation, bear with me a few more minutes. We can have an hyper-personalized tradition as we do, an hyper-personalized theological conception, but a totally depersonalized or impersonal way of conceiving and relating to those conceptions, and on relating to one another, hmm? all of which somehow reflects in, in how we re re relate to the divine originally. If we conceive God originally in dualistic terms, that same template may extend to everything else which is in connection to him. Hmm? So in brief, we have as Godias an hyper-personalized notion of the divine, hmm? but we may have a depersonalized way of expressing that in practice. And these two things combined will are the greatest scandal of the saints, as I like to say. No, it's like totally unbecoming for someone with proper vision. So dualistic thinking, remember, means fragmented consciousness, the opposite of non-dual thinking. And maybe this is a way to understand fragmented consciousness. This is a way to understand why our Gaudiya community at present may be fragmented in many ways. Probably the general fragmentation is in our communities caused, at least again in part, by how fragmented we are in our own selves, in our dualistic approach to God, to reality, to everything else by extension. So, so from that we should realize the need to emphasize this underlying unity, underlying foundation of non-dual thinking. Again, not to speak about unity in a sentimental way only, like, let's organize a curtain festival every year and let's take a picture all together. We are all one. I mean, I, I, that's fine. I'm not against those festivals, but my point is 
it's not just about that. No? And we are one, there's unity. But we may do all those things, but in our mind, dualistic thinking may, remains the same. So we need to work on this with deeper focus, with deeper commitment. <clears throat> Anyhow, so let's go to a conclusion, just a few words to wrap up today's presentation. Uh, and we will end, close the curtain here. So again, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, includes the notion of non-dualism, but it's not the same non-dualism as radical non-dualism. It's a different form of non-dualism. And while Gaudiya Vaishnavism also includes the notion of diversity and individuation, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is not dualism, nor radical dualism. It's a middle point between radical non-dualism and dualism. And I personally feel that as Gaudias, we have not yet emphasized the Abeda side of the equation enough in our Beda Beda equation, the difference, the non-difference side. But, but we, and therefore, by not emphasizing this non-dual emphasis, this side, sorry, we are not able to fully navigate the abundant variety that our tradition presents mm -hmm. to us. And, and, and again, we are such a specific tradition, specified tradition, and we are so much opposed impersonalism is historically that because of these two things we run the risk of easily becoming dualistic mm -hmm. and not only philosophically but in the way we we conduct in life as a whole and that's where I feel a big part of the Gaudiya Sampradaya Gaudiya community finds itself at the present moment mm -hmm. with this type of fragmented consciousness so we need to grow from that mature and move on mm -hmm. in the same way like this that the Srimad Bhavatan has been written in Samadhi, in devotional trance, Samadhi Bhasha. And it can only be understood, therefore, in Samadhi. A book that is understood, written in Samadhi can perfectly, ultimately be understood in Samadhi. So similarly, if reality is non-dual, ultimately, then it will be properly understood from a non-dual template, in non-dual terms. Therefore, we should train our minds in non-dual thinking. It's a crucial important rewiring, which this is what sadhana is all about, to rewire our way of seeing things, to transform our vision of reality, to match the actual nature of reality, which in this case is non-dual. No, indeed, the very term religion, religio, indicates relegate, reconnect, religare, which is the, indicates the task of putting our divided realities back together, our fragmented consciousness, back together, non-dual thinking. And yoga is synonymous with religion in this way. Union, linking, non-dual thinking. And all this integration is a crucial part of radical personalism, of putting all these fragmented parts aligned with this underlying non-dual foundation. It's a very important aspect of radical personalism, and that's why we have chosen to share this idea today here with you. <clears throat> so thank you so much again for your time, for your patience, for lending your valuable life to, to, to spend some moments hearing these topics and trying to consider them and trying to incorporate them somewhere or another. We'll conclude here. A brief homework that we will share today with all of you, if you would like, is try to reflect. Let's try to reflect on, on how a lack of non-duality may be affecting hmm, our understanding of how we, the understanding that we have 
on our own spiritual practice and our own relationship with others. Mm-hmm. How our practice, how the one, the way we approach our practice and relationships may be affected by a misunderstanding or lack of non-dual thinking. So if there are any questions, comments, you can share them in the thread. And next Tuesday we will continue with the second part of non-dual thinking, which will be speaking about learning and complementing from other traditions. And the idea, of course, here is that if the foundation of reality is non-dual, then we should be able to discover that same foundation in other mystical traditions as well. And not only even being able to discover that, but even being able to learn from them. So that will be the topic for two, for next week's lecture. So we'll stop here. Shriman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Gaudiya Sampradaya ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Primananda Haribol, Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhu Bhyevacha, Patitanam Pavane Pio Vaishnavibhyanamon Mahananta Koti Vaishnavrinda ki jai, Gaur Haribol.